All right. Good evening, Edgewater. How are you guys doing tonight? Good? Yeah, because the rain stopped. Dude, I, I, <laughs> I was out in Cave Junction today digging a ditch. And I saw on the weather, I'm like, it's supposed to rain. But I'm like, eh, there's no rain before. There's no, oh my goodness. And it was that red soil. So by the time I left, I was like six foot two, you know, because you're just, your boots. And I'd always wanted to be six foot two, but it wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> let's pray and we'll jump into this tonight. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come together as one family, as one body, as we'll see tonight, and to study the things of you. I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts individually this evening as we take time away from responsibilities and pressures and jobs and even kids to just take a moment and study the things of you. Maybe we blessed for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the book of 1 Corinthians. We are in chapter 12, moving our way through this book. Fascinating chapter. And here's how it starts out. Paul says this, verse one, chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, which is actually probably not the best translation. I don't know anything about Greek or Hebrew or any of the, the actual languages of the Bible, but I read a lot of commentaries and everybody says that word gifts isn't actually in this. It doesn't say that. This really says now concerning spiritual things, concerning spirituality, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Paul starts out this section, he says, listen, concerning spiritual things, you need to know some stuff. We've been dealing with some really practical things. Last chapter, we talked about marriage and men and women's roles and, and communion. And, but he says, now, now we got to talk about some spiritual stuff. And from 30 years of walking with Jesus and being in the church, here's what I know. When it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of opinions, right? And so what's so great is the way that Paul lays this chapter out. It's really like one of those frequently asked questions pages that you see on a website. Paul has this, it's a list of frequently asked questions. That's how we're gonna look through this chapter. So what we're gonna do is this, we're gonna ask a few questions. Questions we've probably all asked about the Holy Spirit, about spiritual gifts, things we wanna know, and then we're gonna look at Paul's answers, his frequently asked questions page concerning spiritual matters. Are you ready? Verse three, here are the first two questions that people tend to ask. How do I know if something is from God? a word of wisdom, a ministry, a sign, someone speaks something into my life. How do I know if that's actually from God? How do I know if it's from the Spirit? And how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? How am I supposed to know those things? And Paul jumps right in and addresses those two questions. Here's what he says. Therefore, I want you to understand 
that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. First question, how do I know if something is from God? Well, if something is from the Holy Spirit, if a word that someone has spoken to you is from God, if you feel like you're being called to someone, the first thing that Paul tells us is this, it will never contradict Jesus. It will never contradict the word. It will never contradict what the Bible says. Because here's what was going on in Corinth. There were these church services and people were speaking in these foreign languages and no one knew what those foreign languages were. And someone came in and says, you know what, they're actually cursing God. They're like, no, that's not what's going on. If, if they have the spirit, they can't curse God. And the modern translation for us is this. If, if it's a work of the spirit, it will never contradict the word of God. And I hear this sometimes. Like, I, I heard someone tell me this. I feel like I'm being led to leave my wife and run away to this other person and become a missionary. I'm like, nope. <laughs> nope, it's not spirit. That contradicts the word. Oh, I'm just so in love with my girlfriend. I feel like we're married, so that's why it's okay for us to sleep together. Nope. No. A work of the Spirit will never contradict the word of God. It's the most important litmus test as we go forward. But then the other thing it says, it's just so important, is this. For anyone who's in the Spirit says Jesus is Lord. The second way that you identify a work of the Holy Spirit, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a ministry, whether it's in a person's life is this, it will always point back to Jesus Christ. See, this is what Jesus himself said about the Spirit he was sending. It's John 16, 13, he says this, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you that the things that are to come, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A true work of the Holy Spirit, whether it's a miraculous work, whether it's a church, whether it's a ministry or someone speaking from the front, will always point people back towards Jesus. And I always get concerned when I see any ministry, any church, any movement that is all about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, for the sake of the Holy Spirit, contradicts exactly what Paul says right here. It contradicts what Jesus said was the purpose of the Spirit when he came. Works of the Holy Spirit that are true will always point people back to Jesus Christ. They'll always point to Jesus Christ. It's always to glorify him. Never the person who claims to have a gift and never the ministry that the Spirit is moving in points to Jesus. If it's not pointing back to Jesus, it's not a work of the Spirit. It's not a work of the Spirit. And then people ask this, well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Because there's this idea, and I remember hearing it when I was a younger Christian, that there's almost like a two, false idea, by the way, there's a false idea that there's almost like a two-step process to salvation that you become saved, you believe in Jesus, and then later you receive the Holy Spirit. And I think that false idea comes from the apostles who knew Jesus, and then they're waiting around for the Holy Spirit to come, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But here's what Paul says right here. No one can say Jesus is Lord 
except in the Holy Spirit. How are we saved? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You can't say that except in the Holy Spirit. It's God moving in you and through you and you agreeing with him that brings you into that spot of agreement with Jesus that he is Lord of your life. And so if anyone tells you, oh, you're saved, but you still need the Holy Spirit, say, no, 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 I confess that Jesus is Lord. I couldn't do that without the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. I am indwelt with him. And there is no like second class or junior varsity Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit that indwelt Paul and Peter is the one that indwells you and me once we confess that Jesus is Lord. The confusion here though is because there is this other work of the Spirit that you see throughout the Bible where he comes and he fills people for a certain period of time. That doesn't mean you didn't have them to begin with. It's just a filling. The, the, the terminology we use is this. There's one baptism of the Holy Spirit, which actually comes from verse 13 of this chapter, which we'll look in a little bit, that when you confess as Lord, you were baptized into the Holy Spirit, but many fillings. But you have the Spirit if you've come to the knowledge of Christ. So those are the first two questions that I see a lot when I talk to people. Right? How do I know if something is truly from God? Well, it'll never contradict the Bible and it'll always point back to Jesus. And how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? If you confess Jesus as Lord, you have the Holy Spirit in your life, right? So what, then what's the next question that people tend to ask? It's, I should have known it. I actually had this memorized, but then I dug in the rain all day, <laughs> right? Okay, so if we're talking about spiritual things, the next question people ask is this. Okay, how do I get these spiritual things? What are they for? And why do Christians need them? If Paul says at the beginning, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual things, well, how do I get them? What are they for? And, and, and why is it that Christians need them? And that's what Paul addresses next. He says in verse four, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. For to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. How do I get spiritual things? They're a gift. How do you get a gift? You receive it. That's the only way to get a gift. You cannot manifest a gift. You cannot force your way into a gift. You can't buy yourself a gift. I know people are like, I bought myself. No, you didn't. That's not a gift. A gift is something that's given. Now, can you ask for a gift? Does it sometimes help to ask for a gift? Does it sometimes help to ask repeatedly? Parents who just like survived Christmas, right? <laughs> I know my kids really want something when they ask for it a lot, and that's okay. But the only way to receive a gift of the Spirit is to receive it. It's a gift. And there's a lot of misconceptions going around that if you just have more faith or if you just pray harder or you do this formula, then God is forced to give you the gift. That's not a gift. That's a payment, and that's not what Paul's talking about. The gifts of the Spirit are 
gifts, and they're freely given, and they're chosen by God, and we can absolutely ask for them, but we can't demand them, we can't force them, and we can't manifest them. The gifts. Okay, then, what are they for? They are for varieties of service, verse 5, and varieties of activities. But those activities and services all come from God. Okay, activities and services. You could input a bunch of other words here. You could say opportunities and outcomes. You could say ministries and blessings. Here's the concept. God gives gifts to each of his believers. He then creates opportunities for us to use those gifts because the opportunities are from God. And then it is God who creates the outcomes or the blessings from those opportunities as well. And I think it's really, really important for us to understand this because oftentimes, and you see it in the Bible, people will receive a gift and then they think, oh, I have this gift that's from the Lord. I need to use it. And so they force an opportunity and they get out ahead of what God has for them in their life. I think the best example is Moses, right? Moses was made to be a leader. He was put in an amazing position to be a leader, member of Pharaoh's court, knew the inner workings, had this burden in his heart to see his people go free. But then Moses, in his own effort, tries to start the revolution, right? And he kills an Egyptian, and he jumps in front of God's timing, and he's forced to flee to the desert for 40 years. I think we see this over and over and over again. I see it many times in young pastors who have a gift for teaching the word and for unpacking the word, but sometimes those people are given huge platforms, whether it be on social media or massive churches that grow, and their platforms and their opportunities are forced by them and outstrip their maturity. And then we see the giant churches collapse and people are hurt because God provides the gifts, but then there are varieties of service from the same Lord and there are varieties of activities from the same God. He gives the gifts, he provides the opportunities, but then this is also key too, he is the one who facilitates the outcomes, who facilitates the blessings. And I think that's also important because there are times in ministry where we have a gift, great, and we have an opportunity, but then we think we know the result that God wants to create from that gift and from that opportunity, and if it doesn't match with our expectations, we reach disappointment. It's God who's responsible for the outcomes of you partnering with him in the opportunities he's given you with your gift. And sometimes the outcomes, you may never see them in your lifetime. I mean, look at Jeremiah right? Jeremiah is probably the best biblical example, all right? He has, he's called by God to be a prophet. First, his family rejects him. Then the people reject him. Multiple times, he's, they try to stone him. He ends up at the end of his life being thrown down a dry well, and from all he knows at the end of his life, no one ever heard him, and no one ever came to repentance. But he penned some of the most encouraging words that have lifted up the spirits of millions since then, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good 
and not for evil. How many people have been encouraged by that? How many people have read the words of Jeremiah and come to salvation and come to understanding of how God wants to work in their life? Jeremiah could have come to the end of his life and been like, well, that didn't work. That was a total failure. But it's God who creates the outcome. And I think that's so important for us to remember. I heard this story years ago. It's always stuck with me. Don't even know if it's true. Some of the best stories are not, but they create a great point, right? So there was a young pastor from Youth for Christ many, many years ago who had a burden on his heart to go and do a youth crusade in India. And so he got everything organized and he raised the money and he coordinated all the events and he went over to India and he had this, all these giant plans and he did this big crusade and almost nobody showed up and only one person got saved. And that one person got saved was Ravi Zacharias, who despite what you, might have happened at the end of his life, undoubtedly was used by God to bring thousands of people to the knowledge of Jesus. So the man who God put on his heart, a calling, a gifting, hey, you've got the gift of administration, you can raise some money, you've got the gift of faith, you've got this vision, then he creates the opportunity to go all the way over to India and he gets all the way to India and he's like, only one person got saved. Or did thousands of people get saved? God creates the outcomes. Our job is to partner with him in the opportunities he creates because otherwise ministry can become very, very discouraging. And we need to move away from that because it's God's outcomes that we're looking for, not ours. And often we don't understand them, right? So that's how we get these spiritual things. That's what they're for. And then finally, it's this. Why do Christians need them? Why do I need these spiritual things? It's verse seven, and it is Paul's thesis. It is the most important verse in this chapter if you wanna understand what Paul is driving at. Everything points back to this verse. He says this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Not for my glory or my edification, not for my success or to grow a giant church, not so people will look at me. It's for the common good. He gave you gifts so you could help others. That's the whole point. That's what Paul's gonna drive at for the rest of the chapter. He gave us gifts so we could help others. Okay then, question. What are these gifts you keep talking about? Well, Paul gives us a list. Let's look. It starts in verse eight. It says this, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who are portions to each one individually as he wills. So Paul now gives us a list of gifts. Let me unpack them for us real quick so we understand what he's talking about. He starts out with wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is the unique ability to, to glean things from God's word or from facts around us and to declare it to those in a supernatural way. 
And I think sometimes we've all run into this gift. Have you ever read something, like reading through a passage of the Bible and then you're like, I know what that means. There's no way I should know what that means, but but I know what that means, even if it's just for me. That's the gift of knowledge. Then that knowledge needs to be applied to practical situations. That's the gift of wisdom. And there's people who have this gift of wisdom and you, you sit down and you bring them into ministries that you're working in or areas of your life or maybe in your marriage in a biblical counselor and they can say, listen, here's the knowledge that the Bible has and here how this practically applies to your life. It's, it's wisdom supernaturally given by the Spirit of God. And then we have faith. Faith is a gift. Well, wait a minute. You say, aren't we all supposed to have faith? Yeah, we're all supposed to have faith, but faith can also be a gift and it can be given to people in supernatural, extraordinary, huge ways. Like Elijah, who's sitting there and he he's builds a, a he, what does he build? <laughs> he builds an altar. That's what he builds. He builds an altar and he sacrifices a cow and he dumps all this water on it. And then he prays and he's like, God's going to burn up. That is some faith. And it came on him in a supernatural way. And then it left him because a couple chapters later, he hears that there's this lady who wants to kill him and he turns tails and run. He was filled for a short period of time in a supernatural way. See, it's things we're all called to, but then some of us at certain portions in our lives get this extra measure. And that extra measure of faith comes upon people and it it causes them, it causes us to step out and do things other people think are crazy because God has given us a vision. We'll raise a million dollars in a month and build a building. You're nuts. No, there was a supernatural pouring out of faith that provided vision that then created activities and outcomes. And that's how the spirit works. And then we have gifts of healing. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Working of miracles, right? Miracles are different than healing. We typically use the word miracle when we mean healing, like someone was miraculously healed, but here he means miracles like the parting of the Red Sea, miracles, Prophecy, prophecy here is not mean predicting the future, it's speaking a word of truth from God directly into someone's life. And then he says, you can distinguish between spirits, that's discernment, that's the ability to know, hey, this thing that this person's talking about, this movement, this thing that's happening, that is from God or that is not from God. That's from the enemy. It's the supernatural, spiritual gift of discernment. And then we have the gift of tongues and we have the gift of interpreting tongues. That's the list that Paul gives us. And there's really four things that I think we need to know about this list before we move on. First off, it's not comprehensive. This is not the complete list of gifts in the Bible because even later in this chapter, Paul adds a couple more. He adds helping and administrating. In Romans 12, he adds teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, and there's another place in the Bible where hospitality is added. If you add them all together in the Bible, you get somewhere between 18 and 22, depending on how you read them. I don't even think that's comprehensive. I think they're all representative. 
that God pours out in amazing ways. Because nowhere in here do I see the gift of leading worship in music. I've seen that gift. I've seen it walked out. I've seen people come up and everyone enters in in a miraculous way. There's gifts that God gives and he gives them to many and he gives them to all. So this list is not comprehensive, it's representative. The second thing to know is that gifts are given to each of us. Not some, not most, but each. Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Do I have a gift is the wrong question. The question is, what is my gift? What is my gift from the spirit of God? Third thing to know is this, all these gifts come from the same source. And I think that's really important for us to understand, mostly because we can, I can compartmentalize my Christian life. And I can look at all these gifts and realize these are all workings of the spirit. And I can be like, okay, mercy, that makes sense. I get mercy from God and from his people and from the word and from other people who have that gift. But knowledge, that comes from the internet. <laughs> right? No, all of these things, leadership, hospitality, teaching, healing, it all comes from the same spirit. They all come from the same source. And then finally, it's this. As you read through this list, some of these gifts seem very practical, like leadership and hospitality. Other of them seem very supernatural, right? like miracles and healings and speaking in tongues. Those ones are sometimes referred to as the sign gifts and they're viewed differently. But Paul makes no distinction when he makes this list. He just rattles them through. Hey, there's healing and then there's mercy and then there's you know, administration and they're all gifts of the Spirit. Which leads to probably two of the most common questions, questions Paul doesn't actually address because in his time they weren't questions people asked, but it's this. Are all these gifts still available to believers today, or were some of them specific for the early church and have passed away with the apostles? This is the big question, especially coming with the sign gifts, miracles, healing, speaking in tongues. Are those gifts for today or did they pass away as the apostles passed away? And if they're available for today, why don't I see more of them, right? Those are the two big questions. And this is where we, read, we venture into opinion territory, okay? So you're gonna get mine and my reasons for them. And here's my opinion. Yes, I believe all the gifts are available today, but I would be wise and I would be cautious. And I'll tell you why I think this. The reason that I think that all these gifts are available for today is because I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've seen some things and I've met some people and I know people, people who I trust very, very deeply whose lives have been changed by healings and by other miraculous workings of the spirit that are unexplainable. My very good friend, Douglas Mukisa, who is the pastor of New Song Chapel in Nairobi. His story is incredible. 
He was, him, when he was young, him and his mom and his sister and his older brother, they left their village in Uganda. They left their, the main city in Uganda and they went out to a village, which is what you would do during the off season when it's not school time, right? So you'd go to school in the, in the city and you'd go off to your village. While they were in their village, the Ugandan civil war of the early 80s broke out. They were trapped in the jungle for two years. Okay, mom's a Muslim at this point. They finally make it back, and because of malnourishment, because of everything that's going on, Douglas's sister went blind. Couldn't see. Absolutely blind. Doctors couldn't do anything. Went to the mosque, and the imams prayed for her. Couldn't do anything. So finally, they hear about this Christian church in the area. They take his sister to the Christian church, and she is miraculously healed that day and restored to full sight. And Douglas says, that's the day I turned my life to God. That's the day I knew that God's real. None of the other things, none of the other deities that my tribal religions believe in, none of the other, not what's going on with my, white, with my mom's religion and Muslim, none of it. That's real. And that's what I saw. And that changed my life. And you can hear story after story after story like that. If you dig deep, some of them are true. There's a good amount of them that are true. Right? This is another crazy one. I mean, that's a gift of healing, right? This one's, this one's nuts. There's Billy Graham Palouse, who is a missionary in India that we have been connected with for a long period of time. He's 18 years old. He's trying to decide if he wants to go into the ministry like his father is. Right? He feels like he's called to be kind of the liaison between the mission work that they're doing in Southeast India and the United States. He's at college and he's praying, God, is this what you want me to do? And someone had given him an English Bible and he'd never seen it before and he opened it up and he could read it. That's the gift of interpreting tongues. I mean, that's unbelievable. And he says, from that point forward, I turn my life to God. There are miraculous workings that happen. So are they for today? Yeah, I think they are. Because I can't explain away those things and I don't want to because Jesus was glorified makes it a true work of the Spirit. All right then, if all of these gifts are for today, why don't we see more of them, right? Why don't we see more of them? I think the first reason we don't see more of them is because of a lack of faith right? It's a lack of faith. This one we have to be super careful with though, okay? Because we hear this story about how Jesus couldn't do miracles in his own town because they didn't have enough faith, right? And then we hear these stories like, hey, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could use mount move mountains. And so we think faith is the key to unlocking these miraculous works of God. no, Faith is an ingredient. Faith is not the key. Faith has to be there, but there's no formula for doing these things. And the reason I know that for certain is because of the Bible. Because look at these stories, okay? Peter, how much faith does Peter have after the beginning of Acts when he's just working and preaching and getting beat up? He's full of faith, right? And they put him in prison in Acts chapter 5 and everyone's praying for him, and Peter's praying, and I don't know if he knows if he thinks he's gonna get out, but the angels come in and he's freed, and everyone's freaking out, they don't even know it's him, it's amazing. So then in Acts chapter 12, Peter's put in prison, 
And so he prays. I bet he's got more faith this time, right? Everyone prays. Peter's released. At the end of his life, Peter's put in prison. And then he's crucified upside down. Did Peter pray the last time he was in prison? I bet he did. Do you think he had a lack of faith? Is that why Peter didn't get out of prison that last time? It was a lack of faith on Peter's part? No. It was God's timing. Because God's in heaven, he does what he will. Faith is an unbelievably important ingredient, but it's not a key that unlocks these things. I mean, the apostle Paul, Paul's sweat rags, right? When he was working and he's like, oh man, I'm just so hot. And he'd throw it on the ground and people would grab it and get healed, okay? He couldn't heal Timothy, one of his best friends. Why? Because Paul didn't have enough faith? Really? That argument falls totally flat. And no one could heal Paul. No one could heal Paul, right? I don't know if there's a person with stronger faith than that. Faith is an unbelievably important ingredient and we need it, but it's not a key that unlocks these things, right? So that's the first reason I think. Um, man, I'm lost. <laughs> All right, hold on a second. All right, so the first reason I don't think we see enough of this is because we don't have enough faith. The second reason is this, because Jesus oftentimes doesn't get the glory. Why is it so often that when we hear about these miraculous workings, it's in the mission field or foreign countries or where these things are? It's because Jesus says this, I'm gonna get the glory from these works of the Spirit. That's all the way back to the first couple verses. The glory goes back to Jesus. See, I heard this story. There's a story from someone I know from years ago. Went in, um, feeling some weird medical stuff. Got this scan. Scan shows an amazing amount of tumors, like end of life, horrible tumors. So everyone just starts praying. Everyone's praying, Lord, we need a healing. Lord, we need this miraculous thing. Goes back into another doctor a couple weeks later, gets another scan. All the tumors are gone. What does the doctor say? There must have been something wrong with the first machine. Because we explain these things away here and God doesn't receive the glory. Now that happens in a village in India and the entire thing becomes saved. And I think that's one of the other reasons we don't see these things because God doesn't receive the glory. And then the final one is this. God works in various ways in various times. And it seems to me as I read through the Bible that there are more miraculous works and there are more works of the spirit when a new work is starting. I mean, look at when God is freeing his people from Exodus. You see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, right? And then you come through Joshua and you see all these miracles and he's establishing these new things. And then if you look at the timeline of the Bible, you get 400 years with no recorded miracle signs or word from the Lord. You get acts and it seems like there's people everywhere getting saved and then, then we have these long periods of time. See, if you really look through the Bible and you really read through this, there's really not that many people in the history of the Bible that healed people. There's a handful and they're all recorded. So it seems like it's happening all the time, but it's not like everybody was out there healing everybody all the time. There's a few and God works in various ways and in various times. And there's gaps where it doesn't seem like he's working in that way in that time. He's working through his word. He's working through his people. And then there might come another time where we see a lot more of these things because the time is ripe for revival. I think we might see that, maybe even in our lifetimes. 
but God works in various ways and in various times, right? So that to me is the answer to those two big questions. If you say, are the gifts for today and why don't we see that much of them? So then it brings up this next question. All right then, we've all got certain gifts, but our gifts are so different. Like how are they supposed to work together in this thing called the church, right? Like you've got miracles and you've got mercy and they both start with M, but like how do those, how do those work together? And I think Paul really takes the rest of this chapter and he breaks those down, that question down for us. This is how we're to take these gifts and work them out together as a body of believers. And here's what he does. He lays out a plan. He lays out a couple pitfalls. And as we go along, he gives us a few pro tips, okay? Plans, pitfalls, pro tips. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul says this, the design is many who are one. Many members, one goal. Many people, many gifts, all coming to the butt together for one purpose. But how does that work? Because if you've ever even tried to get 12 people to agree on what type of pizza to order, you know it's not easy. But how do you get a military unit to all work together as a team to go and accomplish something? See, it's a common goal. What you need to work together as one body is a common goal. And the reason so often I think the modern church is ineffective is because we've forgotten what the goal of the church is. It's not a super nice person telling people who are almost as nice how to be nicer, right? It's not about comfort. It's definitely not about unlocking the blessings so you can live your best life now. That's not the goal of the church. The goal of the church, big C, all believers together, is evangelism, to tell the good news, Acts chapter one. To take those people who've believed and make disciples out of them, Matthew 28. And to equip those disciples for works of service and to help them mature, Ephesians 4. Spread the good word, make disciples, create mature believers who can go out and serve and repeat the process. That's the goal of the church. And when we focus on that together, and that is all of our common goal, that's where all the gifts come in to place. Because see, that new believer needs the gift of mercy to understand that they're forgiven and blessed. And maybe they need someone with the gift of hospitality to bring them in. Because sometimes what you really just need is a warm place to sit and eat a meal and have someone love on you. But you also need someone with the gift of knowledge to share with you what the word says and maybe the gift of wisdom to show you how that's gonna apply to your life and see all the works come together to create believers and disciples and mature Christians when we all have the same common goal. And then he says this pro tip for this section, your past doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew, think arrogant, over-religious, judgmental person. It doesn't matter if you were a Gentile, Think pagan, prostitute-visiting sinner. Doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you're a slave, poorest of the absolute poor. It doesn't matter if you're free. If you're a free person in the Greek society, you were rich and privileged. It doesn't matter. It says we all have the same mandate. We all have the same charge. We all come from the same spirit and we've all been given the same goal. It doesn't matter. So then he goes on and says, okay, but we know the reality. You get a bunch of people together and you get problems. So here's a couple of the problems that we run into as we try to walk this thing out together. It says, verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, but one body. First thing he says is this, don't be jealous of other people's gifts. Don't be like, oh man, I wish I wasn't a foot. I'm always stuck in these smelly shoes. I'm always carrying that stupid head around. <laughs> be glad for where God has put you. Don't be jealous of other people's gifts. Look at the gifts you have and say, Lord, how can you use me here? Because Jesus says, he says this, listen, a head is great, but without feet, it's stuck. It's not moving anywhere. And where would the body be if we didn't have ears? I think that one of the issues that we do in the modern church is we give so much reverence to people who are mouths, right? People who talk, but without hands and ears and eyes and all the other parts of the body, this thing doesn't function. It doesn't work to accomplish that goal, right? I'm pretty decent at knowledge, but not as good at mercy. That needs to be someone who comes alongside someone and shares that gift. I mean, I can share it, but I don't have that gift. Some of you have that gift, right? Like you can just come along someone and they just know, oh man, if God loves me like that person loves me, I'm in, I'm in. We all have to value the gifts we've been given because pro tip, God's the one who gave them to you and he picked the spot for you to use them. God is the one who arranged them. Don't be jealous of other people's gifts. And then verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which, which, are more, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Don't be jealous of other people's gifts and don't think your gift is better than other people's. That's the other side of that coin. That's what he says right here. Don't be like, man, I don't need you ear. I don't need you eye. I'm a mouth. 
Awesome. It doesn't work that way. There's no hierarchy. All the gifts are important. I'm old enough to remember learning in school that we had certain parts of our body that were not necessary. As I look out here, most of the rest of you are old enough to remember that too, right? Like, what did they tell us? You don't need your appendix. It's a vestigial organ, unnecessary. You know what they know about the appendix now? It stores the bacteria that our gut needs so that if we lose that bacteria or if we go through antibiotics or any of these things that happen, it can repopulate. It's really, really important. It does an amazing function. But for years, we were like, appendix? Just cut that thing out. I don't need that. I think we do that in some areas as a church. And we think, oh, that's not important. That's not necessary. These are the important things when it comes to ministry. Jesus says, don't do that. Paul says, that's not how this works. All parts are necessary. All parts are important. All parts have their role to play. And then pro tip here, he says, it's more than just for work. It's for mutual encouragement and support. And I think this is so huge. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know the greatest way to take a group of people and bond them and create them into a unit and one? When they suffer together and they celebrate together. That's what creates unity in a body of believers. That's what draws all these different parts and gifts together because that's the truth of a body. If I stub my toe, it's not just my toe that hurts. I don't know if you ever tell your kids this, my, my daughter will be like, my thumb hurts so bad. I'll be like, I'll just cut it off for you. No, right? But the whole body hurts. And I think that's so important that when a member of our body is hurting, the whole body hurts for them and comes alongside them and walks with them. But in the same way, when there's celebrations, when we see amazing things, the body comes alongside and celebrates. That's why one of our pillars here is celebration. It's so important celebrating the wins that God puts in a member of this body's life lifts the entire body up and shows us what it is that God does, right? So that's his, that's his plan, all together, working as one with one common goal, not prioritizing other people's gifts and being jealous, not thinking we're better than other people, but all of us together with our gifts and then he really just gives us a conclusion, verses 27 through the end, where he reiterates this. And here he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Confusing little verse right there at the end. When he says higher gifts, he doesn't mean like, like desire the higher gifts, like there's a hierarchy. What he's actually saying there is desire the gifts that you see needed. Look around the body, be like, man, we need more people of mercy. We need more people who are into hospitality, who invite strangers over. Desire that gift. Ask for that gift. Try to step into that area. Desire the higher gifts. And then he says, I'll show you a still more excellent way, which is chapter 13, the love chapter. Such a great 
passage that gives us a ton of insight and hopefully answers a bunch of questions we might have about spiritual gifts. But as we end, I wanna just get real practical for a second because I have two more questions that we get asked. It's this, how do I identify my gifts and how can I start using my gifts? So the first one is this, if everyone really does have a gift, how do I identify those gifts? And I wanna start this by kind of expanding the definition of gift for a second, because what Paul's really talking about here is these supernatural gifts that may come for a little while and then leave, a gift of healing and then pass, but there's more gifts in the Bible, this administration, this mercy, this hospitality, and I even think it applies to healing. There's gifts that we have that come on to us for a short period of time for a specific calling or ministry, but there's other gifts that we've just been given. Like they're part of who you are. They're a gift you have and you carry it with you your entire life. It's no less a gift. There are people who are unbelievably good at understanding the human body and working through medicine and doctors and healing people. That's a gift of healing. And it's a gift that needs to be used. And it's a gift because there's nothing they did to do that. They've partnered and they've learned and they've studied, but they were just given a gift. There's people with the gift of knowledge. There's people with the gift of hospitality. There's people with the gift of tongues. There's people who, like, I cannot learn a foreign language to save my life. It just, it, they don't stick. But I've met people who know a bunch of languages and can learn new languages and have taken that gift because it's part of just who they are and how God made them and they've used it to interpret the Bible and to work through things. And, and I was actually just reading this chapter in the Message Bible by Eugene Peterson. He has a gift of tongues, of language, of taking the Bible and just spinning it so you can look at it differently. I don't study it, but I, I learn from it and I glean it in my other studies and it's absolutely amazing. And so the first thing to do is this. All right, Lord, how have you made me? What is it that you've put in me that I enjoy, that I'm good at? And how can I use that for your kingdom? Because that's a gift. And that's one of the keys to know when you're working within your gift, because you'll enjoy it and other people will enjoy it. So I might think that I have the gift of singing and I might enjoy doing it in my shower very, very loudly. But if I was to come up here and lead worship next Wednesday, none of you would enjoy that. Not one little bit, right? Unless you were filming it for YouTube and then trying to get a bunch of hits, right? <laughs> Horrible worship service. So if you're working within your gift, it's something that you will enjoy and others enjoy. So how do I identify them? Well, you can take a test. There's a lot of tests out there. What are my spiritual gifts? They're interesting, they're fun. I would recommend it. But I think one of the best ways to do it is to ask someone, someone you know, someone you love. Hey, what do you see as my giftings? What do you think are the areas that God has blessed me with, gifted me with, that I should be using for his kingdom? Ask someone. But you know what's even more powerful than asking someone? It's telling someone. This is my challenge for you guys this week. Find someone you know, someone you love, maybe a, a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a relative or a coworker or a child, and tell them what you think their gifts are, what you think they're special at, what you think God has blessed them with, and how you think they should and could be using that for the kingdom. It's such a blessing. Someone did that for me just a couple weeks ago. Called me up, 
I just kind of spoke some life into me. Hey, these are the giftings I see you have. And, and I see you're using some of them. And I, I think some other things are for you. And man, it blessed me so much. It, I, I knew I had those gifts and I knew that I was using some of them, but it, I was like, yeah, I can do more. And I got filled up a little bit. It's such a blessing. And I would like us to create a culture that speaks that kind of life into the believers around us. So this week, that's my challenge. Find one person and tell them what you think their gifts are. It's such a great thing to do. So once you identify your gifts, the question is this, then how do I start using them? How can I start using my gifts? And I think the easiest way to talk through that is to think about the mistakes that we tend to make as a church in exercising our gifts. First is this, we identify our gifts and then we look for a ministry that needs that gift. Like I have the gift of knowledge, therefore who needs to know some stuff? And then the flip side of that is we might see a ministry that has a need, like, man, they really need some help in the two-year-olds, but like, I can't teach two-year-olds nothing, so I'm not gonna get involved. And so often I think we miss things there because sometimes we don't know what all of our gifts are. And if God has placed something on your heart, hey, this is really a need, then step in there. Step into those areas and start to serve. Oftentimes I think our gifts are discovered in service right? But then the other thing we can do is we can try in our own might to accomplish things we should be letting others do. That's probably where I tend to go. I'll get involved in a ministry and I'll try to do everything. That's not my gifting. I have a set of giftings. I need to be doing those giftings and I need to find other people and identify them and bring them in to do the other things, right? Because I might be a mouth, but I'm not very good feet. Or I might be hands, right? I can walk on my hands from that side of the stage to that side of the stage. I or I could many years ago. Um, but that's not the most effective way to move around, right? I could scoot on my bum or I could lay on my belly and roll. None of that is effective. What I need is some feet. And sometimes I think we're called to get involved in ministries where we see opportunity, even if we don't feel gifted there, because we get inside and we're like, oh, these are the people this ministry needs. I know someone who has that and we bring them in. And what a beautiful thing that can be. The problem with that is people have to learn to use their gifts and mistakes are made. And sometimes I don't think we do mistakes very well. Sometimes I don't think we allow people opportunities to learn to use their gifts. Maybe you do have a gift of teaching, but you need an opportunity. And maybe in that opportunity, you're gonna forget where you are in your notes a couple times. But you still need opportunities to get better and to use the gifts and to hopefully walk out that thing that God has called you in. But so often we don't do that well and we bring people in. I remember when I first got married, my wife was learning to cook and she could cook, but I was kind of teaching her because I love to cook and I'm very critical of my own cooking. And so in turn, I was critical of her cooking. And then she was like, well, I'm done with this, right? That's not helpful. We need to give people the opportunity to walk things out and learn. But the final thing is this, and this is where I wanna close. I think for many of us, we think that when we hear the term, the ministry of the church, it's a job for the paid pastors of either Edgewater Christian Fellowship or River Valley or Redeemer Presbyterian or whatever church comes to mind. And we don't think of the ministry of the church as a thing that each and every single one of us is called to and equipped for. And so often the church operates like a hand's missing fingers. 
And we can get things done, but we're not as strong, we're not as flexible, and we're not as effective as we could be because we need you. And when I say the works of ministry, remember the goal, telling people about the gospel, creating disciples, and baking mature believers who can go out and do it again. Almost all of that work happens outside of these doors. And we are all called to do it and to partner with each other and move forward this kingdom of God. That is the entire goal of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Jesus in the way that he uniquely made us as we work together with the other people around us who he uniquely made as well. Amen? Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to look at spiritual gifts, what they mean, what they can mean for us. I pray that we would be people even this week who are examining ourselves. What are my gifts? How can I be using those to tell people about the gospel, to create disciples, to help Christians mature? Lord, who do I know around me who I need to speak life into this week and tell them what their giftings are? Lord, thank you for creating us and for filling us with your spirit and in empowering us to do the work of your church and your body. In Jesus' name, amen.